Okay, good morning. The Lord be with you. So good to see you this morning. Did you all see that little bird flying around in here during worship? It's biblical. Even the sparrows have found a home and the swallow a nest for herself. Colin, was that a prop? Yeah, so to enhance kind of the worship feel. Well, so good to see you this morning. If this is your first time with us, uh, my name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor here. Joy to have you in our house this morning. Uh, one thing I need to pass your way, you heard, you've heard us mention it a couple times, uh, but tonight uh, right here at Grand Peak Academy, uh, we have a semi-annual family meeting that we put on. That's happening tonight. Family meeting. Uh, if you haven't been to one of these before, they're really, really wonderful times of being together. It's a chance for us to share a meal as a community together. Look back over the last stretch, over the things that God has done in our midst. Talk about some of the things that God is laying on our hearts. Uh, answer some questions that you might have and then pray together over the coming season. And I just got to tell you, you've heard me say this a couple times. If you get like the New Life East weekly video, uh, you might have seen this. But uh, we are three and a half years old as a community. And there are some things that the Lord has laid on our hearts for the next season that we feel like are like historically, critically important for who we are becoming and where we're going as a church family. And so if you consider New Life East your home, uh, you are not going to want to miss the meeting tonight. Also, even if New Life East isn't your home, but you're kind of like checking it out and trying to figure out if this is the place to be, uh, this is a great opportunity for you to come and kind of look underneath the hood and see what we're all about. So that's tonight, 5 to 7 p.m., no child care provided, pizza and salad, like I mentioned last week. Got to keep that roughage in there, making adult decisions, and uh, we're going to have a good time together. should be great. So we'll see you right in here tonight. We're in the book of 1 John. I'll invite you to open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. And as we've been journeying through this book, we've seen that this is a really beautiful description of the life that God intends for us. John, as you've heard me say, was one of Jesus' best friends. He was the beloved disciple who rested his head on the chest of Jesus, knew the intimacy of Jesus so well. And it comes through in his writings. And so he's talked to us about the life of God made manifest in Jesus. He's talked to us about the way in which God has designed us for fellowship with him and with one another. He's talked about the way uh, in which God has overcome the disruptions wrought by sin. In the person of the Son, he's taught us that uh, uh, one of our critical tasks as the people of God in this age is to walk the way that Jesus walked. And then, of course, last week, uh, we spent some time talking about how it's the identity of the Son of God, like getting the identity of Jesus is critical for our faith. And now we come to what I consider to be the absolute bleeding heart of this letter. There's a number of themes that John plays with. If you've read the book of 1 John, you'll see that he kind of plays with these themes, winds them together, weaves this beautiful tapestry. But there's one, I think, that he circles around more than any other, and I think that it's the driving concern of his letter. And that theme, that topic, that concern is love. It's 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7. If you're there, people of God, holler at me by saying I'm there. All right, here we go. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. John says, dear friends, beloved, in the old translation, let us love one another. For love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And whoever doesn't love doesn't even know God at all. Because God is love. 
And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we all also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, then God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And this is how we know that we live in him and he is us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world And if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said. Let's pray. Hallelujah indeed. Man, what a gift. Where would we be, God, without these scriptures without these writings of the apostles and the prophets to remind us, to teach us these words, these holy, sacred words that lead us into the heart of God. And the heart of God is exactly where we want to be. Proximity to God is exactly what we want. I joked about it earlier, but even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar O Lord, our God Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. The psalmist said, Psalm 84, they are ever praising you to be close to you. That's the greatest thing that could happen to us, that we come in proximity to the living God. We rest in God and God comes to rest in us. And these words are teaching us about that, showing us how to live in that way. And we couldn't be more grateful. We thank you, Spirit of God, that you are here And now this morning to take these ancient words of the scripture and to lift them up and make them ever fresh for us, that they would speak to us and help us, that they would be the truth of our situation, leading us into the depths of God. So come, this morning we pray, Holy Spirit, remind us who we belong to, what's been given to us in Christ Jesus, and how the Spirit is transforming us to be more like Jesus. Grant this, we ask. We say, may the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. When I was in Michigan a couple weeks ago, I started preparing this message and uh, I was sitting in a little coffee shop with my laptop. Again, I started copying and pasting out of Bible Gateway all of the passages in 1 John that deal with love. And it wound up being four pages of quotes that I ripped from 1 John. This is his central thing. And then, so I started thinking that through and doing some highlighting and all of that. And then I got to this past week and I was like, okay, I need to like distill this into some things. And I came up with like seven statements of John for what love requires. And I thought seven statements is like a lot of statements to try to cover. Isn't that a lot, Rory? That's a a lot for a preacher. And then I was like, can we somehow get this down even smaller? And I came up with a super great number. Three. It's Trinitarian. I'm really into it. And so I've got three statements on love that I think encapsulate what John wants to say to us about love this morning. Number one, I'm going to say this to you. That love is not suggested <laughs> in First John, but love is commanded. Look back at these texts. We just covered them. Put the next slide up on the screen here. Uh, John says this, Dear friends, uh, let us love 
one another. Now, that's a nice way to say it, but he's basically like, you're going to do this now, right? Let us love one another, he says, for love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Or this one in 1 John chapter 3, a little bit earlier, John says this, and this is his, what does the text say there? Command. And here are the two commands. What's the first one? Say it real loud, church. To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Come on, you got to keep talking. And to love one another as he, what? Command, the command. That's what it is. It's not a suggestion. It's not like, you know, your life will be like a little bit nicer if you try this. Or here's like a strategy for uh, gaining friends and influencing people and all of that stuff. That's not it. Now, John is like, and he's echoing here the teaching of Jesus. John is like, this is what is commanded. Everybody say commanded. This is what's commanded of you, that you believe in the name of the Son. You put your confidence in Jesus, and then you love because he has commanded it to us. And I love so much about Christianity. One of the things that I love about being a Christian is that there is this vast space of mystery that our faith gives to us. And I love the notion of mystery in the Christian faith. There is so much that we don't understand and will never come to understand. We think about how we talk about the very being of God itself. We sing it in the great old hymn of the church. One God in three. How, how, what, what can that even mean? To confess one divine being in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we cannot wrap our minds around that. The math of the divine nature just does not work. And yet somehow what we do is we find ourselves sliding into the reality, the mystery of the Trinity, and it comforts our hearts. We think about like the mystery of the incarnation, how somehow, some way, God, immaterial, uncreated, immortal, invisible deity in the second person of the Trinity, somehow... As the, as the creed declares, he became one of us for us and our salvation. He was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. And he became, those of you that know the creed, he became what? Incarnate. Truly human. Actually, somehow, the divine life took on human flesh so that when you touched Jesus, you touched God. We can't make heads or tails of that. We don't know how that works. Where there are so many other great truths of the Christian faith. You think about the great communion of saints, how somehow we're one body, even though we're all of these different people. We think about the eschaton, what God will create at the end of all things. Nobody, Paul says it, that no heart is conceived, no eye is seen. It's not even entered into the mind of man what God has prepared for those. It's mystery, 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 mystery. Everywhere there is mystery in the Christian faith. And there are also some things in the Christian faith that are not a mystery. <laughs> And Moses says this to the people in Deuteronomy. He says that the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children. How many kids do we have in the house this morning? Raise your hand if you're a kid. See, all this stuff belongs to you too. It belongs to us and to our children that we may follow all the words of this book of the law. God hides some things from us because we cannot understand them, but he reveals other things to us that we, can't, that we can understand. And one of the things that God has revealed to us is how he wants us to walk in this life. Think about what Jesus says here to a person who came to him asking, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, here it is. He's like, I'm going to take the whole law and I'm going to summarize it for you right here. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Verse 38. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Verse 39. And the second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 40. All the law and the prophets. What? They hang on these two commandments. That we're to give all of our heart to God and worship, that we pour out our praise and our worship. That's what we do when we gather here for worship. And then we love one another as he commanded us. This is the will of God for you. And I've been a pastor for a number of years and I've talked to so many people. This is one of the things I think that causes us great vexation as Christians. We go, what is the will of God for my life? Right? Ever wondered that? What does God want me to do? What's the next stage in my journey? What's the next decision that I'm supposed to make? Am I supposed to go to college here in Colorado or do I go to college somewhere else? Am I supposed to date this person or that person? Am I supposed to pick this career or that career? Are we supposed to live in this house or that house? Am I supposed to have, I don't know, a Big Mac or a filet of fish at McDonald's? And we get really locked up about these things. I've talked to so many people who have been just so locked up in their spirits about the will of God. And they'll come to me and they'll say, Pastor, they'll say, I have these couple great options in front of me and I just don't know what God wants me to do. And do you know what I say to them over and over again? I've said this so many times over the years. This is what I'll say. God doesn't care. Like, do what you want to do. And they just, like, they cannot handle this. Do what I want to do? Yeah, do what you want to do. Do, do you, which college do you want to go to more? Well, this one. Go to that one then. What if I make the wrong decision? How mean do you think that God is? That God's like withholding all this critical information and if you just kind of step out of line, God's going to smack you. What do you think? That God is some kind of micromanaging deity ruling over every little detail of your life and also withholding critical information so that it's very difficult for you to know which decision am I supposed to... Is that what you think that God is like? All that stuff is just stuff. Those are the hidden things. God will get you in the small decisions of your life wherever you need to go and in the big ones. Am I supposed to marry this person or that person? I don't know. Are they decent? Flip a coin. Pick one. It doesn't matter that much. God has this way of wrapping all of the the things into his will. Those are the hidden things. You're not going to know the mind of God. But we do know the mind of God on other things, don't we? And what does Jesus say about all of the law and the prophets hang on which two commandments? We're called to love the Lord our God with all of our, all that we are and love our neighbors as ourselves. The great St. Augustine said it so beautifully. He said this, love God and do what you want. Could you imagine how liberating that would be if you actually believed that? And do you know that this is, what, this is the truth of what the New Testament teaches? You have the Spirit in you, and the Spirit is forming good thoughts and good values and making you discerning and wise and all that. So love God and do what you want. And the more the love of God gets inside of you and the more you're guided by your love for God, watch how Augustine finishes it. He says, for the soul trained in love to God will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved. <laughs> Give yourself over to the love of God and other people and your life will go exactly where it needs to go. But I don't know if I'm supposed to take this job or that job. It doesn't matter. 
Don't take an evil job. Don't take a stupid job. Take a good job that you want to do. Love God and, what does Augustine say? Do whatever the heck you want. Because the soul trained in love for God is not going to do anything to offend the one that it loves. Our job is to get lost in the love of God and our lives will go right. I'd say it to you this way. You can put the next slide up on the screen. That love, everybody say love. Love is the great will of God for your life. And to love is to live fully in the will of God. Give yourself over to love and your life will go right. Number one. So John says that love is commanded to us. Now you can go back. There it is. Perfect. Love number two, I'd say this, is the primary evidence that the new birth has taken hold in us. That heaven has come to dwell in us. Look at these verses from 1 John. We read a couple of them. John says that no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, what does that mean? What's happened? Don't be muted on me now here, church. If we love one another, what is that? What? Is, what? God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. Or this verse, next one. John chapter 3, verses 14 to 15. This is how we know that we have passed from death to life. How? Because we love each other. And anyone who does not love remains in death. Verse 15. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing. And how do we know? That the eternal life of God has actually come to take up residence in us? Well, John says that's easy. We know that eternal life has come to rest in us because love is coming out of us for God and for one another. And I think about, you know, sometimes it's good, it's healthy for us to revisit some central ideas of Christian faith. And one of the ideas of Christian faith is that the final destination of human life is something that we call heaven. And I remember growing up as a kid and I just... The way that we thought about heaven or the way that we talked about heaven was that heaven was like this, uh, heaven was this place where you just kind of engaged in endless sort of recreation forever. You know, do you remember that song? Who was the band that did that song where it was like the big, big house with lots and lots of, do you remember this? Yeah, it's a big, big table with lots of, you were there, you know this song. I know you know this song. You're just embarrassed to admit it. And it's, it's, Rory doesn't know this. Yeah, because he's a little bit high culture for all of us. And there's a big, big yard. Remember that? Where we could play football is how that. So, and I, so listen. Now, I remember growing up and I hear songs like that and listen to teaching like that about heaven. And it like utterly terrified me. So are you kidding? It's like this endless football game. Like that's what the son of God bled and died for. That's what all of the travail of our history is all about, so that we can just go and run around in the backyard and play football. What if you don't like football? Heaven is going to be, it's going to be hell, actually. We're going to be, you know, like childish ideas. I mean, it's cute, but it's childish ideas about heaven. Do you know what heaven is? Heaven is the place where creation and all of the humans <laughs> that have said yes to Jesus are somehow drawn fully into the endless love that is God. When Dante, the great medieval poet, 
when he looked up into the heavens, he saw Father, Son, and Holy Spirit wheeling around one another in this endless circle of love and delight. And then he saw all creation drawn up into the love of God, deified, as the Orthodox would say, by the very love of God. You know that that's what heaven is? Heaven is nothing more and nothing less than that state of being where we have been drawn completely into the love of God and there is no more fragmentation among us. That, that is heaven. That's why those moments that you've had in your relationships with other people or sitting around your own tables where everybody is laughing and they're together and there's a sense of connection with one another, you have felt like, I never want this moment to end. Why do we feel that way? Because that's a taste of heaven on earth, that sense of connection to one another and generosity and open-heartedness, that is what heaven is. So then what is hell? Hell is that state of being where all of those things are absent, where the relationships have been severed, where things have broken down, where the creation and our very lives have been separated from the love of God. That's what hell is. If heaven is being drawn into the love of God, hell is being separated from the love of God. We know that this is so because of the scriptures. Think about what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5. He says that the fruit of the Spirit in us is... You guys are really chill this morning. Now the fruit of the Spirit is, I know you know it, love. And then what? Of course you're going to be happy in a place where there's love. It's love, joy, and then what? Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And Paul says against these things there is no law. That when the Spirit takes up residence in us, the first fruit of that is love. And we know what love looks like because Paul says elsewhere, 1 Corinthians 13, that love is, love is, it doesn't, it doesn't, it is not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no, love doesn't delight in evil. Oh, you're close, Colin. That's right, good student. Love does not delight in evil. There's that bird again. I am having a biblical moment over here, ladies and gentlemen. Even the sparrow has found a home. A bit, and be good to this. Somebody, they will remain nameless, says, Pastor, don't be alarmed if I shoot that bird during your sermon. That's actually happened to me. And I said, hey, we're trying to have a biblical moment in here. You're going to let that sparrow, just let it be. It belongs in the house of God. It doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. Love always protects. Do you remember that? And it always trusts and it always hopes. We're learning the Bible in here this morning. And it always perseveres. And then I know you know this, love never fails. When the love of God takes up residence in us, and this is what John is saying, we become protectors and defenders of the dignity of others. Our lives are given to try to build them up. All of the places in which human life is degraded, we all of a sudden rush into those places. Where'd that bird go? Tim, did you find the bird? You did it. And then went up again? Man, there he is. Well, do your, do your best, family. We know, this is what John says, that we have passed from death to life because we love. And I'm going to tell you what I love about this. I'm going to speak a hard word here for a second. 
what I love about this is this unmasks all of our religiosity. This unmasks all of our religiosity. Because the easiest thing to do is to play the whole game and keep showing up for worship and I got baptized and I do all this stuff and I'm a good volunteer at church, you know, and I tithe regularly and we're involved with this and we lead a small group and we're like really good Christian folk. And then there's this whole thing underneath that doesn't match the love of God. And John says it really doesn't matter how religious you are. If the love of God is not in you, then you know that you still remain in hell. You have not yet been rescued. And I think about, I think one of the core texts that every American ought to read is the autobiography of Frederick Douglass, Life of the American Slave. You ever read this? My God in heaven, the great abolitionist of the 19th century, grew up a slave and attained his freedom eventually. Frederick Douglass was a believer. But Frederick Douglass also understood by hard experience, and this is something that we ought to all meditate on, that his worst slave owners were the most religious ones. The worst, most brutal slave owners were also the most religious ones. And he is unsparing in his criticism of that. But I think when I read that, and I've read that book several times, just had to reread it for my doctoral program, and I think, what is it? Why does that happen? And I think that the reason that it happens is that religion provides this really convenient cloak for us to convince other people that we're respectable. Meanwhile, we get away with the things that the fallen man, that the old man in us still wants to get away. Guys, and we still do it. This thing keeps repeating itself over and over and over again. And one of the things that concerns me the most as a pastor in the day that we're living in is that right now we're living in this time when the social issues and the political issues and all the stuff going on in our country, the issues seem so incredibly urgent that what I'm watching left and right is I'm watching Christians compromising the central tenets of their discipleship because the issues are so urgent. Well, yeah, 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 Pastor, I know that the scripture calls us to love, it calls us to kindness and all that. But do you know what's going on? Do you know what those people over there are doing? Do you know if they get away with this thing, then all the things that we love the most will be lost? And this is, I'm telling you, I hear this on the left and the right, so I'm being even-handed here. But what we do as we go, because those issues are so urgent, therefore, I can give away my baptism, Why? Because we're trying to save something from calamity. You haven't been called to save anything from calamity. God saves things from calamity. He's the one that holds the nations. He's the one that holds our families. He's the one that holds society. We have not been called to save the world. There is one Savior of the world. And it is not you. We have been called to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and to what else? To love one another as he commanded us. Oh, but pastor, if we walk in that way, you know we'll probably lose. Oh, like Jesus lost when he was pinned to the hardwood of the cross? Seems to me, guys, that we either believe God is capable of raising dead things to life 
or we don't, make a decision about what you believe. You can, yeah, we can give God thanks for that. And so love is not suggested to us. Love is commanded to us. And love is the primary evidence that the new birth has taken hold in us. And then number three, I would say this to you, the last thing before we head to communion, that love is the very nature of God and it changes us. As we learn to trust it, love is the very nature of God and it changes us as we learn to trust it. Back into chapter 4 here in verse 9, John writes, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Oh, I love this. Oh, man. This is love. Not that we loved God. Our love is a paltry thing, a small thing, a broken thing. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Verse 16, so we have come to know and rely on, trust in the love that God has for us. And God is love. Whoever lives in God, lives uh, lives in love, lives in God, and God lives in them. Verse 19, and we are able to love. Why? Because he first loved us. Our love is not original. Our love is derivative. Our love is a rebound. Our love is a response. That as we come into an experience of the love of God, all that is not love in us is burned away. And all of a sudden we start loving God and we love other people because God has come to take up space in us. And God has never done anything less than completely loving things in all of God's existence. And as God comes to dwell in us, we become those kinds of people. The great George MacDonald, one of the great thinkers of the love of God, 19th century Scottish pastor said that love loves unto purity And love has ever in view the absolute loveliness of that which it beholds. And therefore, all that's not beautiful in the beloved must be destroyed. And for this has the divine destruction been going forth, that in us too might dwell that same consuming fire, which is essential love. Do you know what God's goal in your life and mine is? It's to so take up residence in us that we come to live the way that God lives, which sheds light on what John said earlier in 1 John, that whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. How did Jesus walk? In love. God comes to dwell in us. This, by the way, is why we come on a weekly basis into corporate worship why we open our hearts to God, why we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit afresh. This is why we champion the importance of private prayer. You know what happens in private prayer? It's the same thing that happens in corporate worship. You're not coming going, okay, that's right. Uh, God is kind of a fussy deity, and so we've got some stuff that we need to do that will help get God off of our backs. And so I read the Bible, and then I say a few prayers and all of that, and God, are you placated now? And I walk, that's not why. That's not why. <laughs> We pray. That's not why we worship. We come into the presence of God because we're trying to expose ourselves to all that God is so that all that is subhuman in us, all that's hardened in us might be broken apart by the love that is God. This is why we open our hearts to God. I was on a hike with some friends uh, up at uh, Seven Falls. You all have been there. You've done this a couple years back. 
And I saw the most extraordinary thing I'd seen in my life. I'll show you this picture here. Very difficult. Can you see this? It's, I took it on a phone. I'm not very good at these things, but I'm trying, ladies and gentlemen. Do you know, but you know what that is? It's a rock. And there's a tree. Which I couldn't. I was walking on this path, and I saw this thing, and I just could not stop. And it's this tree is growing out of this rock. And I don't know how long that tree had been growing out of that rock, but I don't know if you can see that. But the tree, where it had grown out of the rock, you see it split that rock right down the middle. And I thought, this is among the more remarkable things that I have seen in my entire life. How did that tree start? It started as this tiny little seed that somehow got planted in this little crevice of the rock. And over time, as sunlight came and water came and nutrition came, that tiny little vulnerable seed that seemed so small started digging roots hard into that rock and spreading its branches up towards the heavens so that over time, that tree pulverizes the hard rock. And I remember snapping that picture and saying, I'm going to use this as a sermon illustration one day, and now here we are. This, I think, is what the love of God is like in us. That we have these stony, hard hearts. And then we come into the presence of God in corporate worship and in private prayer. And that love of God starts drilling its way down into our depths. And what we find is that as the sun of righteousness shines upon us, and the rain of the Spirit falls upon it and on us and waters that seed, that the love of God starts breaking apart things like unforgiveness and bitterness and hatred and a lack of generosity and selfishness. Every work of hell is destroyed in us as we open ourselves up to the love of God. And so church, would you stand this morning? That's what we're doing here. We're here to take the bread and the cup as the very body and the blood of love who became incarnate for us. And we're inviting that love of God into our spirits so that it would break apart all of the unplowed ground in us, all of the hard things. And so this morning, I want you to lift your hands to heaven. And you know the places in you that right now have not yet been subdued by the love of God overcome by the goodness and the love of the Lord. And so I want you just to invite the Lord into those places. God, we're welcoming you here. There's some of us this morning that we have been wounded this week and we're carrying the bitterness of unforgiveness. And so we pray that the love of God would fall there. And there are some of us in our marriages, so I just feel it this morning in our marriages, that we're mired in selfishness that we're mired in hurt, we're mired in things that have not but yet been let go. We pray that the love of God would conquer in us. There are some of us that are in this room this morning. And for us, the issues have felt so urgent in our families, in our communities, in our country, that we've given ourselves away to something that is less than love. And so this morning, we pray that the love of God would fall upon us afresh. And we repent before you all the places where we have not walked the way that you've commanded. And we make this our prayer of repentance before you. We say, most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. 
by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We're truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us now and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. And so we remember before you, Lord Jesus, that on the night that you were betrayed, after you had given thanks, you took the bread and you broke it. And you gave it to your disciples. And you said, take this, all of you, and eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, drink from this, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the remission of sins. Do it whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So, Lord Jesus, we say, now come. By your spirit, rest upon bread and cup. Rest upon our hard hearts that somehow the hard heart will become a fleshy heart because of its encounter with Jesus, the Lord, here at the table. Grant that, we're praying. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. I'm gonna invite our servers to come forward this morning to serve communion. Communion will be on the right and on the left up front here as you come down. You'll exit towards the center aisle and then come up front. The server will put a cracker in your hand. You'll dip it in the cup. And as you head back to your seat, you can partake. Brothers and sisters, I say to you, these are the gifts of God given for the people of God. Come forward and receive communion.